Welcome back to Bible time. Colossians 3 verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Help us today, Lord, in Jesus' name, for your sake and your glory. Amen. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The Bible says here, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. The first part here, if, if ye then be risen with Christ. That's a big if. That if is where everything else is going to rest for the rest of the book of Colossians. Everything that we've learned before only applies if ye then be risen with Christ. You will not get past that if. You will not get past that if in any part of your Christian walk. You cannot do anything until you get past that if. If ye then be risen with Christ. Are you risen with Christ? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you full of the Holy Ghost? If you are, then prove it. And I don't mean with all your signs and wonders and manifestations. We'll look at exactly what the Bible means when the Bible says to prove it today. Because the Bible says, if ye then be risen with Christ, if you are in this condition of walking in the Spirit, if you are full of the Holy Ghost, then seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is God's will for you to for you to be risen with Christ. This is the purpose of salvation. Jesus Christ said of himself that he came to save us from our sins. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. The Bible says that Jesus would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And it goes on to say that he will save his people from their sins. Jesus Christ did not come to save us in our sins, he came to save us from our sins. He came to save us from the sins. The sins are what separate us from God. Sin is what has separated and brought that iniquity, has brought that separation between God and man. Now, what does it mean to be risen with Christ? Go to Romans chapter 4. If ye then be risen with Christ. Now we could go to the Old Testament again here. We're not going to today. But I want you to remember that in the Old Testament there are many resurrections that take place. There's resurrections in type and there are resurrections in fact. Elisha and Elijah rose people from the dead. You have uh, Noah's Ark is a picture of resurrection from the dead as they came through the flood. And on the other side of the flood they were in Christ and they were resurrected in Christ. The door of the ark opened and they came out to a new world. It's a And it shows you a type of the spiritual resurrection as well as the physical there is a resurrection of the spirit. There is a resurrection of the soul. And there is a resurrection of the body in scripture. Re Romans chapter 6 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You cannot be resurrected without a death. 
Now in Colossians, where it says, if ye then be risen with Christ, just before that in verse 20 of chapter 2, it says, wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are ye subject to ordinances? So this dead with Christ is a theme, not just in Romans, it's all through the Bible, it's through Colossians. Our death with Christ must happen in order for us to be risen with Christ. In order to be saved from your sins and a new man be birthed in you by the Holy Spirit of God, the born again of John chapter 3, not being baptized in water. It has nothing to do with water baptism. Read it in its context. And if you, if you read it in its context, the born again, the spirit, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou heareth the sound thereof, and knoweth not whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the spirit. The born again of John chapter 3 is a spiritual new birth. And when a man comes to a recognition of his spiritual deadness, Ephesians says ye are dead in trespasses and sins. We talked about that in the podcast, Walking Dead. And part one and part two, if you are dead in trespasses and sins, spiritually dead before God, and you come to the point of realizing your deadness and repenting of your deadness and turning in faith to Jesus Christ, he will save you. He said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you must read that in its context. That is not a blanket wide open statement. Every promise of God in the Bible comes with conditions and you don't let people make up the conditions you go to the bible and you read the promise and you read the verses above the promise and below the promise and you read other verses that give similar promises and you will soon find yourself in possession of something that all the scholars and bible schools and theologians will never find and that is the rightly divided truth of the word of god and god will reveal to you the conditions of his promises that promise whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved is predicated by the conditions in Romans 10, 9, and 10 that you must believe in the heart the Lord Jesus and confess with thy mouth that God hath raised him from the dead. And then you must study belief in the heart. And we're going to look into just a little bit of that today and you'll be able to apply that to salvation. But that is not the main thing that we are looking at today. The, it is a very important topic. It is the most important topic um, in this world of lost sinners. But once you are saved, there is a resurrection that must take place within the soul and a resurrection that must take place, will take place later in the body. We're focusing in today on the resurrection of the soul with the life of Christ living through me that then pours out through my body as I earnestly await the expectation of the creature, the resurrection of the body from the dead where I will be made perfect. When I see him, I will be like him. Now here, and we are dead to sins by the body of Christ at salvation and risen with him for the purpose of a life of holiness and victory. But that risen with Christ does not happen until there is a death of the mind, the will and the emotions and of my ability to rule my own life, a submission to Christ, a brokenness before Christ that happens within the soul of the man where Christ then becomes enthroned upon the heart of the man and that man then begins to live and move and have his being practically, not just in the global sense, Paul gave in Acts, I believe, 17, but that man begins to live and move and have his being in the word of God and submission to the word of God, at which point he is walking risen. It is the risen Christian life. Colossians 2 says again, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ... 
from the rudiments of the world, from the rudiments of the world, the basic elements, the basic drives, the basic directions of the world. So we're supposed to be dead with Christ from these rudiments. Now we hear the saying, this, that man was so heavenly minded that he is no earthly good. That saying's gone around quite a bit. So heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Usually it's some old nag of a grandma who doesn't like the preacher and she's bringing him down in front of everybody. Some old Jezebel and she's out there saying, that man's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Well, you know what I say to that is hallelujah. Hallelujah for men who are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Now this is obviously not to be used in the mystical sense where somebody has some kind of mystical ideas about God and sits around philosophizing, however you say that, and off head in the clouds. But this is a biblical heavenly minded that we want. And usually this statement is applied to men who are biblically so heavenly minded. They're no earthly good to this old nasty world. Now such men have rocked the world for Christ. David Brainerd, who was gifted beyond most men in his youth. He had churches seeking him to be their pastor, and he turned them down to go into the wilderness and preach to the Native American Indians. This was back in the 1700s in the time of Jonathan Edwards. He was a close friend of Jonathan Edwards, and Jonathan Edwards admired the man so much. Listen to me. Jonathan Edwards admired David Brainerd and wanted to be like him. Not many men in this world... have that our Christians have less than a great respect for Jonathan Edwards. But Jonathan Edwards had a great respect for David Brainerd. And what made David Brainerd such an incredible man? It was that he was so heavenly minded, he was no earthly good. He lived the risen life. He was risen with Christ. He sought those things which were above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Adoniram Judson left his homeland for Burma and he went to preach the gospel and translate the scriptures on his way across the sea. He read his Bible. His Bible disagreed with his theological seminary and his sending church. And at the next port, he sent a man back with a letter resigning from his mission society and losing all of his support. And he went on to Burma in nothing but raw faith and prayers well that other man went back to the states and traveled doing the biblical and actually true definition I'm not even going to get off on that of deputation which is to raise funds for another and their work now we're getting on moving on Adoniram Judson went on to Burma and he lived the risen life in front of the Burmese. He lived on his knees. He lived in prayer. He lived in supplication. He lived in giving thanks. He translated the Bible into Burma. That is a gold standard Bible. It is a accurate translation as far as I know. I don't speak Burmese. But it was a God-given translation to those people. There's much translating work going on that is not. And we're going to move on and not chase that rabbit today. Hudson Taylor was a man who rocked the world for Christ. He reckoned himself dead with Christ. He, he lived the risen life with Christ. He sought those things which were above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. George Mueller rocked this world for Christ as he built orphanages on nothing but faith and prayer. As he sought God through his word for power and funding and everything else that he needed. And he brought many orphans to Christ and gave them homes and food and took care of them. D.L. Moody rocked this world for Christ. Charles Finney, the Wesley brothers, Edwards, Prane Payson, 
um, old Hyde, the missionary John Hyde, Frost and Fraser. They rocked the world for Christ. These were men who were risen with Christ. Old J.O. Fraser wrote a book on prevailing prayer called Beyond the Ranges. I recommend it to anyone who wants a deeper walk with God and who wants a better prayer life. You want to get further with God, you dig up an old out-of-print copy of J.O. Fraser's book uh, Beyond the Ranges. It could have been named Prevailing Prayer. And you'll find in that little nobody's life a lesson in prayer like you won't find outside of Scripture. The man lived a life of prayer. God used him mightily. These men embody our text as individuals burning with holy fire, unstoppable in their advances for Christ and His glory. War couldn't stop them. Boxer rebellions couldn't stop them. Death couldn't stop them. Nothing could hold them back. They advanced for the cause of Christ in the face of communism, in the face of doubt, in the face of financial crashes, in the face of world wars. They carried the gospel for Christ and they one whole kingdoms and nations for Christ. The proof of your condition in Christ is revealed by your obsession. The proof of your condition is revealed by your, by your obsession. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now the commandment was given, the Bible says in the Old Testament, because of transgression. The commandment was given because of transgression. And here I submit to you that, the, that, the, that that biblical truth holds true today that the commandment is given because of transgression. Paul would never have to say, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. If people who said they were risen with Christ were always seeking Christ and seeking those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. The only reason this had to be said, the only reason God gave it to us in the word of God is because your average so-called Christian does not live the risen Christian life. Otherwise, it would not need said. This here is said in a manner of, if you say you are, then prove it. A man with a heavenly obsession, a man who lives in the light of eternity, is living the risen life. Now we'll look at this quickly. Seeking those things which are above. His actions, his clothing, his music, his speech, his habits, his finances, his business dealings, etc. All point heavenward because that man's direction is heavenward. His obsession is heavenward. He is seeking the things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And there is no room for the halfway Christian in the Bible. And there's no room for the halfway Christian in that man's heart. He's full tilt all the way, all in for Jesus every day, every moment. What is leisure time to the man who seeks those things which are above? It must be pointed to Christ. If he rests, his rest must be for the purpose of glorifying Christ and giving him the strength to carry the banner of the cross another step further. And when he rests, it's because he must rest because he's run out of strength. And while he rests, his meditation is on the law of God. It's on the word of God. His heart is heavenward. His hope is heavenward. His actions are heavenward. You do not attain the risen life with Christ by some act of the church. You can't fast into it. You don't get it by some laying on of hands or disciplines or prayers. Or as we said, fasting. Risen with Christ is a state of oneness with Christ. Brought on by hungering and thirsting after righteousness on the part of the individual. And executed by, opera by the operation of Christ. 
filling you with His Holy Spirit. You cannot meditate into the risen life with Christ. You cannot beg for enough the risen life with Christ. You cannot buy the risen life with Christ. This was expressed by the Apostle Paul speaking by the mouth of God in Philippians 1.20 according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You cannot be risen until you die. And you cannot be filled with the Spirit until you are empty of all else. The Apostle Paul also said in another place that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And we all want that today. But look what he said as he carried on. And the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. The degree that you can be risen with Christ is the degree to which you have died to all else. Jesus Christ said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. I think of Hudson Taylor out there on the Yangtze River, or however you say that in China, in the heat of summer. And he's sitting there with his wife, Maria, and he has a rag of old yellow-brown hot water that he got out of the river. He can't even cool it off. And his wife is laying there, dying of a fever. She's burning up. He's got no medicines to give her. And he's mopping her brow with that rag and praying and weeping and fasting and begging God to spare his wife. And as he sits there, her temperature continues to rise until he takes a pair of shears and cuts the hair that he loved to see, the beautiful hair of his wife, off of her head, takes a razor and shaves it off of her head to try and alleviate the heat, to try and let her cool down. And he bathed her face, and he bathed her face, and he bathed her face, and she lay there and she died in his arms. And Hudson Taylor wept just a moment. He bowed his knees. He prayed a prayer of consecration. He buried his wife. And he marched on with the gospel. I think of Adoniram Judson out there in the jungles of Burma trying to preach the gospel to the heathen. And his wife was sick. And he was trying to keep going. They took him and they tied him up. They tied his hands behind his back and pulled him up by his hands until he was on his tiptoes. Other times they would tie his feet and they would raise him up and let just his head and the back of his neck touch the floor and they would leave him there for more than a month. And his little old European wife who wasn't used to the climate and wasn't used to the hardships would come in and feed him and she would come in and bathe him and she would come in and clean up his excrements that have fallen from his body all over himself because he wasn't allowed to move and his tormentors would torture him there and yet he carried on for Christ. And when he got out of that prison, it was wasn't long before he buried his wife. He buried his children. He buried the next wife God gave him. He buried more children. He buried his next wife. But he kept on for Jesus Christ. And he preached the gospel. And he translated the Bible. He sought those things that were above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. 
It will cost you everything to gain Christ. There is no room in the kingdom of heaven for spiritual half-wits. Ones with one leg in the world, one leg in the kingdom of heaven. You will do nothing for Christ unless you go all in for, all in for Christ. There in Luke chapter 14, verse 26 is the text that we just read. If any man come unto me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I think of the apostle Peter who when he was crucified, before he was crucified, his own beloved wife was put up before him on a cross and they held him in position where he watched his wife die and the whole time he sat there he never wavered in his resolve to follow Christ what man could watch his wife be crucified and carry on how can you serve a God that lets you go through that the answer is in the risen life of Christ this is the answer this is an abandonment, an abandonment of all else for Christ. The Bible says here in our text where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. The reality of the spirit filled life rests in full submission to the lordship of Christ. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Rise up, O church of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of kings. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The world, the flesh, and the devil are business partners specializing in offering the church cheap knockoffs of the risen life in Christ. True spirit-filled believers are evidenced by full submission to Christ, which includes scriptural submission to Christ's church, scriptural submission to Christ's preachers, Christ's pastors, and scriptural submission to the holy word of God. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. O how love I thy law, it is my meditation all the day. Is this the truth for you? Mine eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in thy word. Is this the truth for you? Therefore I love thy commandments above gold. Yea, above fine gold, thy commandments. Therefore I love thy commandments. Above gold, yea, above fine gold, is this true for you? I opened my mouth and panted. I longed for thy commandments. Is this true for you? Thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant loveth it. Is this true for you? Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is truth. Read Psalm 119, almost every single verse of 176 verses extols and magnifies and swears fealty, gives allegiance and obedience to the word of God. It goes under the name of his judgments, his statutes, his precepts, his testimonies, his law, his word, his commandments. 
in this day of cheap Christianity and cheap consecration and cheap resurrection and everything else cheap. We've got cheap knockoffs too. We can't even stand it. We don't like the judgments of God, the statutes of God, the precepts of God, the testimonies of God, the law of God. We claim to have the word of God, but we'll settle for perversions. And we turn aside from the commandments of God. And we hate the man of God that rebuketh in the gate and tries to turn us back to the commandments of God. Listen to me today. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now this is the application to the individual. Let's back it up and take a look at this to the church. All right, local church, local body, you claim that you're the church of Christ. Maybe you're a global organization. You claim that you're the church of Christ. Let's see if you can prove it. The Bible says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. (coughs) What does it mean for a church to be risen? With Christ. We have a couple examples of a church. That was risen with Christ. We have some in the in today's world. And we have some. <coughs> in the Bible. Go to Acts chapter 1. <coughs> Excuse me. Have mercy on me today. Acts chapter 1. Lord help me to stick to the point. Our physical death and resurrection are a picture of the spiritual death and resurrection that God wills to take place in your life, individual. But beyond that, God wills for a local body, a local church to be buried with Christ in baptism and to be raised again in newness of life. It is God's will to take a local body Of believers and bring them to a point of unified brokenness so that he can pour out his spirit upon them together and weld them into an army for Christ. Where one man can chase a thousand, two can chase ten thousand, the Bible said. God's will and what Satan fears above all else is a resurrected church, the body of Christ walking in the Spirit, risen with Christ, seeking those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We talked about some men who shook the world for Christ, but those men would be nothing without the church that shook the world for Christ before they came. And we'll give you a couple of them, and we'll be done for the day. Acts chapter 1, verse 13, And when they came, let's look at 12, Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Help us today, Lord. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120 men and brethren. This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Notice that they were gathered in one accord in prayer and in supplication. They were gathered in the name of Jesus Christ and they were gathered under the authority of Christ. And notice that there in verse 16, they were gathered around the word of God as the sole authority. 
authority. And Peter himself cited the word of God and the church would here move and make their actions based upon the word of God. Now they go on here and deal with Judas Iscariot and they select Matthias who they believe would take his place. We're not going to look into that today in its details. And verse two says, or chapter 2 verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire and it sat upon each of them. And they were all, that's in individually filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So you have the individuals who are gathered in unity as a collective and their unified oneness is then filled with the Holy Ghost. And one of them could not have done what the 120 now did. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because the every man heard them speak. In his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. There in verse 14, Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice in verse 38 he calls on these people in verse 37 it says when they heard this they were pricked in their heart they came under conviction and they turned to God believing what Peter had said believing the gospel that he was preaching and Peter's call to them was repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now don't get hung up there on little doctrinal differences between denominations. Just read your Bible and compare verses to verses and we'll move on. We may study that someday in more detail. Chapter 3, they carried on. The word of God was preached. And chapter 4, they were threatened and we find the church again. And when they heard that, they heard the threatening. They lifted up their voice to God. This is the church gathered together. You can look at the context, Acts 4, 24. And they, they lifted up their voice with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God. And they prayed again in one mind and one accord. And they cried out to God. And verse 31 says, and when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness, which shows you there, there was a subsequent filling. There was a filling at Pentecost. And there was filling just a little while later. And we'll find there was filling again and again and again and again through the book of Acts. But more than just a man being filled, there was a church that was being filled. You say you're the church of the living God. If ye then be risen with Christ, if ye then be the true church, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. For a church to be filled with the Holy Ghost bodily as a church, there must be a dying to all those things that they hold dear. There must be a divorce from the flesh. 
There must be a divorce from the world. There must be a divorce from the devil and all his charms. There must be a letting go of denominational schisms and differences that you've held on to for years. And there must be a turning back to the word of God where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. The word of God must take the preeminence. Jesus Christ must become your head and you must submit to him. And as a church, seek him with all your heart. All through the book of Acts, the church was filled with the Holy Ghost. When God brought the gospel to the Gentiles, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And the Gentile church was birthed with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God upon a local church that was gathered in one mind and one accord, seeking God for the fullness of His blessing. And that's in Acts chapter 10. And it carries on through the book of Acts. And we're commanded to seek it together throughout the rest of the epistles. The warnings of Christ to the churches in the seven letters are pregnant with the cry of God for the church to be filled with the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. Neither hot, neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm was the accusation leveled against Laodicea. And the call is to repent. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Anoint your eyes with eyesalve that ye may see, he says. Clothe you with clean garments. There must be a cleansing within a church in order for a church to receive the fullness of the blessing. You can have individuals in a church who are filled with the Holy Spirit and you will see things happen for God. But when the church, as a unified body of born-again believers, divorces from the world, divorces from the flesh, divorces from the devil, and turns with all their heart and all their soul to God, Oh, the devil quakes. He trembles. Hell fears. And the kingdom of heaven advances on God's earth. In the hearts of men. The proof of your condition is revealed by your obsession. That applies to the individual. And it applies to the church. What is it that is asked for prayer more than anything else in your church? Do you want people to be healed from their ailments? Are you tired of people having hurts and sicknesses? If that is the primary burden of your prayer meetings, then your obsession is in this world. Your obsession is in the physical good of people and not in the spiritual good. Is your obsession with programs? Is your obsession with events? Is your obsession with music? Is your obsession with conferences? Is your obsession with missions? If your obsession is anything but the risen Christ, if your obsession is anything but those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, if your obsession is anything that is apart from and under direct submission to the word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of of God, then your obsession reveals your condition. You are not risen with Christ, church. We are to seek those things which are above the actions of a church, the clothing of a church, the music of a church, the speech of a church, the habits of a church, the finances of a church, the business dealings of a church must that is on fire for Christ, that is risen with Christ, will all point heavenward. Again, there will be a degree of this in a church where there are spirit-filled individuals. But when a church is baptized, immersed in the Holy Ghost, oh, now I've lost half of you. Not only you thought it was hard enough to keep track, now I'm telling you about a baptism of the Holy Ghost on a church. It's in the Bible. 
That's how it happened, actually. The first time there was ever any baptism in the Holy Ghost, it wasn't on an individual. It was on His church. And the baptism of the Holy Ghost applies more to the unified body of Christ and what God's trying to do than it even does to the individual. There was a little church in Hernhut, Germany. I want to tell you about them just for a moment. They were running from Moravia where they had been killed and butchered for hundreds of years by the Catholic abomination and by the false pope, the, the, well, the true pope, because there is no pope in the Bible. You can't find it. They'd been murdered. They'd been butchered. They'd been slaughtered. And they fled to a little place where in Hernhut, Germany, Germany, they found a sanctuary. And a man named Zinzendorf gave them that sanctuary. And they gathered and they met. And amongst them were many different groups. Some of them were reformers. Some of them <clears throat> were not. And you need to get this down. All you church history people, get this. Look for the church that never came out of Rome. Look for the church that existed b- before the reformers reformed. Look for the church that was burning at the stake before Calvin, before Zwingli, before Mino Simmons. Go back and look for the church that has always been there since Pentecost. And when you find that church, you'll find a church that I am describing today. A church that was risen with Christ. A church where Christ sits at the right hand of God. A church in submission to the Father. A church living for the the resurrected life with Christ. And when you find that church, you'll find a church that's bathed in blood. A church that has died the martyr's death, a church that has carried the gospel to the four corners of the earth since the days of the apostles and has never quit, a church that still exists, a church that doesn't trace its roots to a man, a church that doesn't trace its roots to a city, a church that traces its roots to Christ and Christ alone. No denomination can claim that church. There have been churches that have come out of every denomination that have been part of Christ's church, the risen church. And you can put a sign out, a billboard out in front of your church today, the risen church. Woohoo! That means nothing unless you are a risen church in truth. This church, the Moravian church, was gathered there. There were many there with many different ideas. There were those there with Calvinistic views. There were those there with Arminiast views. And the difficulties and the schisms were rising to a boiling point. Now these people all had the word of God. And they all believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. The fundamentals of the faith they agreed on. But it was the peripherals where they disagreed. And the ecumenical movement will use this story to try to get you to ally with false churches. And that is not biblical. But here these churches were true churches. Many of the Calvinistic churches have been true churches. Many of the Arminius churches have been true churches. Many of them have not. It's not the sign on your name. It's not the man you're following that makes you a true church. It's whether you are risen with Christ. And this little Moravian church trying to hold together there in Hernhut with all these different people and all their different opinions coming in. And Count Zinzendorf came to them and he said, we must lay aside our differences and focus on Christ. And they spent some great time in fasting and in prayer together in unity and one accord. And in August, I believe of 1727, I didn't didn't brush up on this history before I came. I was not intending on telling all of this today. I will try and post up on the sermon audio 
podcast page there. I'll try and put up a blog page with some information about this Moravian church. I encourage you to look it up and read about it. But this here, <clears throat> this Moravian church there in August, if I'm not, it was, I want to say it was the 27th, but I can't remember for sure. Maybe it was 1727. It was sometime in that time. There was a 27 somewhere. Anyway, this church there in Hernhut, Germany, they sought God with fastings and with prayers. And then one day, all of a sudden, God's presence burst in upon that church. God's power filled the room. And everyone in that room was bowed down before the Holy Son of God, Jesus Christ. And a zeal and a fire and an anointing of God came down on that church. And from that church, missionaries began to cross the globe. And from that church, you have William Carey standing before the mission board saying, Look to the Moravians! Look what they did! Why can we not follow in their steps? The Moravian, the Moravian man named Peter Buller was working in England and here it came in two Anglicans there was a John and a Charles and they walked into his little Moravian assembly these two men were Anglicans they welcomed him in they preached the gospel these men had come under conviction as Anglican ministers because they had seen Moravian missionaries who were not afraid to die for Christ and they realized that they did not have the power and the anointing that those Moravians had and they began hungering and thirsting after Christ and they found some Moravians in England and they went into that fellowship and old Peter Bowler expounded the scriptures more fully. Oh Lord God, thank you Lord. And he expounded the scriptures to John and to Charles Wesley who were converted under his ministry. John and Charles Wesley went to Hernhut, Germany, each at separate times, and spent a month under discipleship under Zinzendorf, the leader of that gathering of Christians. It was there in Hernhut, Germany, that they received the anointing from on high, the power that would mark their lives and change this world and rock this world for Christ. And it came from a little church in Hernhut, Germany, who did what God commands us to do. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Now many of the Moravians went out and over the course of time they left the things that were above. They left the authority and submission to Christ. The Moravian church today has nothing to do in spirit with the Moravian church of that day. Look it up. Read the history. See if I lie. But the work that God did in that church carries on today. And those fires continued to be lit I want to tell you something today. George Whitfield, directly affected by the Moravians and by his experiences he had with John and Charles Wesley, preached the gospel in America. And a little Baptist preacher got saved under the preaching of George Whitfield. And he went down to Sandy Creek down there in North Carolina. And he started a little church, Sandy Creek Baptist Church. And from that church and the revival fires that poured out on it, over 1,700 little bitty Baptist churches were planted across America where Jesus Christ was held on the right hand of the Father and the gospel was preached and men loved not their lives even unto the death and carried the gospel with missionary zeal across the entire south of this nation. America's Christian heritage lies 
it get, has all of its debt of gratitude, humanly speaking, to a little German church that got right with God. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. This is what the devil fears above all else, is that your local church would be anointed with power from on high as a body. That Jesus Christ would not be head only in word and doctrine and in your statement of faith, but that Jesus Christ would become head of your local assembly in practical, daily power and authority. That's what the devil fears. Fear not, little flock, said Christ, for I have given you the kingdom. Hallelujah. Rise up, O church of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. This process begins with individuals, but it is not finished until it happens in a local church. And it's God's will for it to happen in every church that is truly His. And if you will not let this happen, God will write you off. There will come a day if you will not seek Christ and he does not become the head practically of your church that he will write Ichabod above the door and he will depart from you and he'll leave you there to have your regular service times and your programs and your events and everything else and you'll go on. You'll go on just like you have all along and you'll miss the blessing that God has in store for you. But if you as individuals will seek Christ with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, your strength, he will pour out his spirit upon you from on high. And if you will gather church with one mind and one heart to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, he will pour out a blessing on your church that will shake your nation and will shake this world for Christ. Rise up, O church of God. In Jesus' name.